0: sitting down with a cookbook with your partner and like showing them that healthy food doesn't have to be boring and letting them pick out a recipe maybe that is exciting or inspiring to them. And I also think if you don't want to get a cookbook to that, you could say like, Hey partner, what's your favorite dish? And then you can figure out how to make that dish healthy. So they have a little bit of ownership of it. And they realize that healthy doesn't mean you're giving up anything. It means you're adding all of this wonderful stuff to your diet.
1: Welcome back. To the Essentially You podcast, all about reinventing your health with safer, cheaper, more effective natural solutions and powerful lifestyle changes so that you become the CEO of your health. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder. Today's guest is a connoisseur of all things wellness. Liz Moody served as the food director of mindbodygreen.com, one of the biggest wellness websites. Now since Liz and I scheduled our interview together, I have been patiently waiting to ask her about her favorite food and diet trends along with some of the biggest health trends out there since she has had a pulse on all of these things for so many years working with mindbodygreen.com. Now I also love that Liz is so transparent about managing anxiety and provides some of the best anxiety tips that I have personally heard over the years. You know, there is so much that we are going to be uncovering today that I have personally received questions about, so I cannot wait to dive in. Now, before we jump into this heart-driven interview, which is on which diet is actually the healthiest and how to manage anxiety with ease and grace, I want to take a moment and quickly celebrate your wins. Now, one particular health rock star that I was excited to celebrate with was Adrienne Carwell. And I'm excited to shout out her win that she shared on Instagram just last week. Here is what she said. Your book and podcast is not supposed to make me cry. My goodness, such useful information and immediately applicable to my situation. I just think of the people I will be able to personally help because of this. Well, thank you so much, Adrienne. You are a girl after my own heart, understanding our bodies, and really connecting in on how to heal your body is such a big win. But then to be able to take that and take it to other people, well that is just the greatest gift of all. And definitely when I wrote my book or even did my podcast as I'm doing it today, probably one of the biggest things I'm always hoping is that you continue to pass it on so that we serve more and more women. Now, Adrienne, if you're listening and you would love the Superwoman blend that I would love to gift you with, just reach out to Facebook or on Instagram at Dr. Marisa. So that's D R M A R I Z A. Well, fellow podcast listeners, you know I absolutely love shouting you out, and I can't tell you how much your message means to me. You can easily reach out to me via Instagram or Facebook or simply reviewing the Essentially You podcast on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you love to plug into. That way, We all change the world by giving women solutions at their fingertips and providing much-needed information for women to take to their practitioners or whoever is helping them on their health journey. Because in today's world, we all know that we got to be the CEO of our health and advocate for ourselves. Given that we're talking about wellness and advocating for ourselves, let's jump into this fun conversation with Liz. But first, I want to quickly sing her praises. Liz Moody is the author of two healthy cookbooks, Healthier Together, which is what we're going to be talking about today, which shows you how to get way healthier by teaming up with a partner. And Glow Pops, a longtime writer, editor, and healthy recipe developer, she has been featured in Goop, Vogue, Women's Health, and many more publications. She served as the food director of the leading wellness website, MindBodyGreen, and you can find her talking about green smoothies, healthy cookies, tips on how to deal with anxiety, and more on Instagram, at Liz Moody, and at her website, at LizMoody.com. Now let's get into this incredible interview. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast, Liz Moody. How are you doing today, honey? I am doing so well. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh my gosh. I have been looking forward to this interview for quite some time because I knew it was going to be real and fun. And I just, I knew I was going to instantly love our conversation. Do you love it? Is, is it so is far it so far there? Okay, good. <laughs> Instantly, yes. So, we're talking about, in case you guys want to know, we're going to be talking about which diet is actually the healthiest and how to manage anxiety with ease and grace and so much more. But I just wanted to give you guys a little bit of context of what we're going to be jumping into. So, Liz, I want you to know that I love your Instagram account so much, and those recipes and those pictures make me so happy. What has inspired you on this incredible food journey and how did that tie into your newest beautiful book, Healthier You?
0: Oh my gosh. I mean, so much has inspired me on my food journey in general. So I, okay, let's, let's talk about a few things. One, I was born to parents who weren't really into healthy food and they weren't really into food in general. Like when I was growing up, we would have like boiled hot dogs for dinner, like microwave boiled hot dogs. And that was dinner. And it wasn't like my parents disliked me <laughs> or trying to punish me, but they just like literally could not care about food. And they're still mind boggled that they somehow raised a daughter who is so in the food world. So I grew up eating sort of like trashy food. Like I ate like mac and cheese and cookies. And like, um, I remember when I was maybe eight or nine years old. I paid for my own Costco membership so that I could get Dunkaroos because I wanted Dunkaroos so bad. Do you remember Dunkaroos? I don't know. I, I Pop Tarts definitely <laughs> I remember
1: the roll the roll ups. The Oh my God, fruit roll ups. Oh roll ups.
0: What um, dunk I can give me break it down for me. I can't I don't know why I'm not remembering. Dunkers, they're just like little cookie packs. I mean, they're terrible for the there's so much that's terrible they're terrible for the environment, they're terrible <laughs> for your body. But this podcast is not sponsored by dunkers, but they're little cookies that you like dip into icing. And that was like my dream meal. And which says like and then I cold stone all through high school. So I think when I started to change my diet, I was really looking for recipes that would fill the type of food void that of the food that I like to eat, the food that was like really crave-worthy and delicious and felt a little trashy and a little playful and a little bit fun. And so I started creating my healthy food around that. At the same time, I also think a lot of influencers, a lot of influencers are wonderful and I'm friends with a lot of them, but also a lot of them don't really know where to get good information and they're kind of spouting off stuff that they maybe heard somewhere or from somebody, but they don't quite know what the science is behind it or any of that. And I was spent I spent years as a wellness writer and a food editor. And um, in that time, I got access to the country's best doctors. Like I have them on my phone. I can text them with all my questions. I got to spend a lot of time interviewing them and getting to the bottom of their information. And also I spend a lot of time reading studies and figuring out how to decipher studies with health information. And so I view myself as the person who can combine that really delicious, crave worthy food, but also who can back it up with the real health information that can change your body, that can change your mental health, that can change how you feel in a real way, rather than just being like, oh, like I heard you should eat this food somewhere. So maybe you should put it in your diet. Like everything I say is backed by genuine science, genuine doctors. But, you know, I want to eat cookies and I want to eat enchilada lasagna, which is one of my favorite recipes in my new book. So I view myself as the convergence of those two worlds.
1: Mm, I love that. And you're absolutely right. You know, I love, I know that at one point you were with Mind Body Green for quite some time and those doctors have, you know, they're not, they're not lacking in resource, that's for sure.
0: No. And it's so, it's such an interesting position to be in too, because through my work with Mind, Body, Green and with writing for other publications, I was able to see what people agreed on in the wellness world and also what they differed on. And so I would be interviewing literally the country's top doctors, and some of them would say, a vegan diet is 100% the best way you can protect your heart health and do all of this. And some would say, no, you need to be paleo, or you should try keto for this, or these are the foods to fight inflammation. And a lot of the stuff they would talk about would disagree. But then I was also able to see through my very unique position, the stuff that people actually agreed on. And that, was, that allowed me to create this sort of foundational healthy diet that incorporated the best of all worlds.
1: And I know you're we're speaking on food trends a tiny bit. Are there food trends that, you know, based on the research and based on the doctors and based on what you've even seen over the last several years that you feel are going to stay around and food trends that you think are just going to come and go? Like which ones are healthier in your eyes?
0: So I think that the whole gut health thing that's happening and it has been happening for a while is going to stay around. I think we're just scratching the surface of What is happening in our guts? I think it might shift a little bit. I think that we were all like microbiome, microbiome, microbiome for a while, and everything was infused with probiotics. And we were so excited about just adding billions and billions and billions of probiotics to our routines. And I think that probiotics are still important. But now, as we're doing more research, we're figuring out how much other things matter in gut health and how it's not just a matter of flooding your system with as many bacteria as possible. I also think we're going to diversify the probiotic world where we learn like, This probiotic is good for anxiety, and this strain of, and we already are a little bit, but I think it's going to be interesting as we sort of can target different problems with more different types of bacteria. I also think that inflammation is going to stay around for a little bit. Not like as a, I mean, it's it's just such a huge problem. It's at the root of so many of our diseases of modern health, and so I think that things that fight inflammation are going to stay around for a while. I think that the keto diet is interesting. I think it's going to go away in that there's so many people right now who are like, oh my gosh, I want to be keto forever. And I think it's going to it's going to fall back to what its original intended purpose was a little bit, which is more of a therapeutic diet that you do for a small period of time to have a desired effect on your body. And then When that small period of time is over, you revert back to a different form of a healthy diet. So I'd say that that's having like this spike moment where everybody's trying to make everything keto and keto snacks and blah, blah, blah. And I think it'll fall back to being something you do for a little bit of time and maybe not forever. Stuff that I definitely think is going to go away the whole charcoal thing. I'm super anti, I don't know if you've seen like the black juices and people putting charcoal in baked charcoal goods. Lemonade and, and- yeah. I think that's a trend that was very much inspired by Instagram and like, it looks cool to have a black drink, but charcoal, it's so foolish to put it in something like a juicer or a smoothie because it absorb. It's, it's designed to absorb things out of your body. So yeah, it's a binder it's a binder. So if you're having it with nutrients, it's literally binding to those nutrients (laughs) and flushing them from your body. So I think that's pretty silly as a trend. I think that's for sure going to go away. And I'm also hoping that we tend to move away from a lot of the sort of superfood powders and the adaptogenic elixirs and stuff like that. I think all of that has its time and its place, but I'm super adamant that people, they're, they're powerful herbs, these traditional Chinese medicine herbs that people are kind of, casually stirring into their morning lattes and they're mixing their own concoctions. And I, these herbs have been used as real medicine for thousands of years. And I'm fine with them being used, but I definitely think people should work with a practitioner and use them as powerful plant medicines, which they are, rather than like watching some influencer make a latte with them and then deciding to make that latte yourself because they are, they're counter for a number of diseases. It's not good to mix them yourself and to some of them interact poorly with each other. And so I'm hoping that that's also an Instagram centered trend and that that kind of moves away as we move away from the Instagram world.
1: Hmm, mm. I, I think you're absolutely right. You know, in terms of the I don't think inflammation is going anywhere. You know, I think inflammation is one of the, the biggest drivers of disease. You know, one of the one of the areas that I focus a lot on is autoimmunity. And we know that inflammation is playing a major role there and, and food helping to support inflammation is big. So I absolutely agree with you. And if you guys are wondering about charcoal, she, you know, Liz is right on the money. We, you know, if, if indeed you're using charcoal as a binder to remove toxins from the body, whether you drank a lot the night before or you are definitely concerned about if you're in a toxicity protocol, you always want to take charcoal at least. 4 hours after supplements at least so that you're not binding to those nutrients so just be really mindful of that now for you when it comes to eating have you like for instance let's have you tried keto have you done any of the, have you as you've watched this all play out these last couple of years are there things that you've been open to to trying or you've always just kind of had that observer's eye
0: I'd say both. I've dabbled in keto. I think you I mean, you can't, it's silly to almost say it. You have to like really get into ketosis and I've gotten Right. You've into got ketosis. to work
1: hard doing you it.
0: You do. Yeah. And I did that once and I really didn't feel good in my body and I wasn't needing it for therapeutic reasons. And so I, I literally just did it for a story and then I stopped, but I did get into ketosis. And I, I do encourage people who are trying to do the keto diet to read a really good book about it. Or I like Mark Sisson's books. I also like Will Cole's books about the keto diet and really check to make sure you're in ketosis because if you're not in ketosis and you're just consuming hugely high amounts of fat and you're eating a lot of carbs as well, then your mitochondria aren't burning those fat for energy. You're just absorbing the fat in your body. And so you're sort of negating all of the effects that you're trying to produce by doing the keto diet. So I've dabbled one time. It didn't feel good to me. Ayurveda is something that I've tried and I've definitely incorporated elements of Ayurveda into my life. The interesting thing about Ayurveda is that uh, it's all just sort of designed around nourishing your gut and digesting your food optimally. So a lot of the practices are very gentle. They're things you can incorporate into your life and they just sort of nurture your gut as you're going about your day. So there's like a tea that I like to make that is cardamom, cumin, and fennel. And you kind of seep it. I put in a little bit of cinnamon too. I learned about it from Sahara Rose, who has a great book about Ayurveda and you steep it and then you put it in your fridge and you can like sip it all week. And I find that one, it tastes really good. And two, it has a really nice soothing effect in my gut and digestion. Also, if I'm having any sort of like gut issues, like experiencing bloating or something like that, tend to shy away from raw foods and lean more into cooked foods, which is a big tenet of Ayurveda. And then also I love to incorporate spices into all of my cooking. I always say that spices are the original superfoods and you don't need to buy all those like fancy powders because spices have been used medicinally for years and years and years, but they also taste so good. And they have so much that's good for you. And you'll feel a profound effect in your body. But instead of just taking like a capsule of turmeric, because you're trying to fight inflammation, I love using that turmeric as its earthy flavor and putting that into a doll or putting that I have a a cheesy turmeric, rosemary popcorn, and the earthiness of the rosemary with that herbaceousness complements that like grounded earthiness of the turmeric. And it tastes really, really, really good. And so I love using spices because they nourish your soul and that you can get excited about these flavors and want to cook and want to eat your food, but they're also nourishing your body at the same time.
1: We love spices. Girl, we have the two different cabinets devoted to spices here in this house. So I am on the train, including cardamom. Oh my gosh, that little, that gut elixir sounds incredible. Incredible! Oh, oh I wanna, so good. Oh, I, I love all of those cardamom. I love fennel. I mean, there's so much great research on those herbs for for gut healing. I
0: just that's such a great. I, I also you know, think cardamom is so underutilized. Like, I love to put it. I post my smoothies on my Instagram account like a few times a week because I start every single day with a green smoothie, and I think spices are like the best way to make a smoothie taste really different day to day. And I've been doing this like cherry chocolate cardamom one. And it is so good. And I get excited to wake up for it every morning. And I just, it tastes like the world's best milkshake. I just feel like cardamom needs to be used way, way, way more, you know? It does. And
1: cardamom is not only great for digestive support, but also respiratory support as well. It's, you know, I, I'm a green smoothie girl myself for many years and girl, I do not get that creative. I'm gonna have to have you come over and show me some new recipes. Clearly I'm getting the book, so I'm gonna get some more new recipes from it. Let's talk a little bit about the book. One of the things that my audience is super interested in, and I'm sure so many women as well, is you know, let's say we're we're on the train, right? You and I were on the train, we're cooking healthy food. How do we get our partner to eat healthier? Than they want to. Like, how do we do that? Because, you know, with this book, what I love so much about it and the idea of it is it's called Healthier Together, not Healthier by Myself.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, one of the most important things about the book is that it's Healthier Together, but it's not limited to a romantic partner. I don't want people who don't have a romantic partner to feel like they can't get a lot out of this book. For me, Healthier Together is about creating community through food that will make you feel better and sort of nourish your soul, but it'll also make you it'll make it easier for you to stick to your healthy diet. Like we, There's been so many studies that show that we reflect the people that we surround ourselves with. So if you surround yourself with smokers, you're so much more likely to smoke. If you surround yourself with obese people, you're so much more likely to be obese. So if you can surround yourself with people who are making healthy choices because you're getting healthier together, it's going to be so much easier for you to continue to make those healthy choices yourself. So healthier together is for best friends. It's for coworkers. I've had Parents do it with their kids, which is so cute. People send me their like cute kid photos on Instagram, and Mm -hmm. I just like sit there dying. It's my favorite thing. And it's also for people who don't even live in the same place. I have people who will get healthier together, and one of them will live in San Francisco, and one of them will live in like Rhode Island, and they'll just pick a recipe and cook it together, like over FaceTime, and then they'll talk about it. And I just love the idea of food bringing people together. So, first of all, it's not limited to a romantic partner, but second, For romantic partners, so I have a husband, he's in the book, you guys can see his cute little face in the book, but he is actually the person who got me healthy. I wasn't eating vegetables before I met him. He grew up in Berkeley. So he had while I was eating my boiled hot dogs, he was had like an Alice Waters edible garden in his schoolyard which is insane to me. Oh Mike Waters is like it's the so founder true. of Chez And yeah. By far, amazing restaurant. If you guys are ever in Berkeley for any
1: reason, check that yeah. out.
0: He sort of founded California Cuisine, which is all about cooking with really fresh vegetables and embracing this very vegetable forward diet. So that was his life. And he like took me to the first night he slept over. I made him microwave oatmeal with frozen blueberries and like a cup of Splenda because that's just what I was eating at the time. And he was so appalled And he tried to sort of like make his way through it because he wanted me to like him, but he was so (laughs) appalled. And he took me to a farmer's market the next day. And he kind of showed me how fun eating well can be. So I think a big thing is not forcing your partner, but sort of like leading them in a way that feels really fun and genuine. So I, I always say the best way to get anybody to change their habits is to not try to change their habits, but to live your best life by changing your own habits and then sort of modeling that behavior for people. So that's step one. I think the more you're like, you should be eating more vegetables, the, the less far you're going to get. But the more you're like, oh my God, I've been eating this, this, and this, and I can't believe how much energy I have. And I can't believe how good I'm feeling. I think that that will get you a lot further. Two, I think it's about convincing people that a healthy diet isn't going to be a diet filled with like boring salads or boiled chicken breasts. I love the recipes in my book because they are things like taquitos and nachos and extra crumbly coffee cake, but everything's dairy-free. Everything's gluten-free. Everything's designed to balance your blood sugar and stabilize your hormones and all of that, but it's really delicious, crave-worthy food. And so I think sitting down with a cookbook with your partner and like showing them that healthy food doesn't have to be boring and letting them pick out a recipe maybe that is exciting or inspiring to them. And I also think if you don't wanna get a cookbook to that, you could say like, hey partner, what's your favorite dish? And then you could figure out how to make that dish healthy. So they have a little bit of ownership of it and they realize that healthy doesn't mean you're giving up anything. It means you're adding all of this wonderful stuff to your diet. And then third, I always encourage people to get in the kitchen together. And I think this can take a number of forms. I give instructions in the book so that you can actually cook together if you'd like. So one person can do this and one person can do that. But if you don't want to do that, like your partner can just sit there with a glass of wine while you cook and then maybe they do the dishes or vice versa. But I think having dinner preparation or food preparation in general not feel like this chore that you have to check off, but this little like lovely moment in your day where you can bond and you can connect and you can share stories, it makes it feel really different and it makes the outcome of what you're eating feel that much more special. And it's a great way to get people eating the healthier food because they've sort of been part of the process of creating it.
1: You're absolutely right. I think, you know, when I was first kind of getting into food, because I grew up so much like you, you know, the boiled hot dogs and the pop tarts, and I didn't even know vegetables, cooked vegetables could be bright green. Growing up, you know, I threw always Brown. And when I started really investigating food, it was Michael Pollan's The Omnivore's Dilemma. And, you know, the idea of communion of sitting by the table and connecting over food was this really kind of foreign concept to me and, and to be in the kitchen together, to go to the farmer's market together. And it seemed like that's kind of, kind of happened for you with your husband a lot was just this beautiful, this journey that even started at the market and kind of transcended into the kitchen, which I think is so great.
0: It really has extended beyond like my mom and I, I, she was one of those people who like never ate fat ever. And she gets migraines. And as you probably know, and your listeners might know, if you have any sort of brain health issues, it's even more imperative for you to consume healthy fats very regularly. So I sort of was like, you need to have fat in your diet, mom. And she's like, no, no, fat's bad. That's going to make me fat. And I was like, no, it won't. And so I picked out some sort of healthy fat based recipes. And I went over to her house with the ingredients. We started cooking them together and it was this great bonding thing for us. I also think having friends over and cooking with them is so much more fun than and cheaper to be frank than like going out to eat and you sit at the table and you wait for the waiter and it's just this whole thing versus like laughing and tasting and that whole process of cooking together I think makes for a much more fun night.
1: I agree. I love having people over. We love cooking for people. And you know, it's so funny. Our house, our house is the healthy house. There's a lot of things I don't let into the house. So my mom and my sister always joke that it's, you know, they, they don't always want to come over to my house because there's nothing fun to eat. <laughs> We're
0: working on it. Well, this is good. You when you get the book, you can be like, I have fun Look, stuff. I have yeah. fun stuff now. Look, I have like fun size Snickers bars. Like I have, yeah, you'll, you'll be good. That'll be so much fun. I want to shift gears just a tiny bit
1: and talk a little bit about I know we, we, we jumped into some specific health trends that you we're talking about in terms of food. Are there other health trends that you're seeing right now that maybe that one you love or two you you wish would go away? You know, I love that you've got such a great insight on that because you've noticed that for so long. And there's a lot of things that my audience is trying or want to try, and they're just not sure if they should. A lot of my conversations are around supplements, you know. Yeah,
0: I mean, so I think the whole supplement thing is so fascinating. I think that supplements, they can have a really important part in your healing. But I think we're over-supplemented, and we're also told to be over-supplemented. So I always caution people to be very aware of where they're getting their information from. And usually people are getting their information from one of two places. They're either getting it from some source of media, which needs to create headlines to get clicks, to get advertising dollars. And they're really dependent on grabbing your information to carry on with their business or They're coming from advertisements and even subtle advertisements like an influencer telling you that you should do something or that they love something. And that's again, trying to get you to spend money. And I think a lot of the information that we get about supplements is from people who would like you to spend your money. And I don't think that that's a valid, you know, anybody who has their skin in the game like that is not somebody that I really want to listen to in terms of how I treat my health. So I think that supplements can be important But I think really narrowing in on the supplements that you specifically need for whatever you're dealing with, rather than just being like, "Oh, ashwagandha is cool right now. I'm going to add ashwagandha to my routine." Even CBD oil, I think CBD oil is great. It's a potent anti-inflammatory. It's really good for anxiety, and it's obviously done wonders for seizure disorders. But I think if you don't have any of the things that it's sort of necessary for. I don't think you should run out and spend a bunch of money on CBD.
1: I'm or also, maybe buy it in all of the different products. I mean, I've seen CBD in everything.
0: Yeah. And I think I'm like very against that. I think that's a hundred percent just consumer facing companies trying to capitalize on that trend. I think you don't need CBD in your soda. You don't need CBD in your bars in general, the best way to consume CBD. So CBD isn't absorbed very well in your stomach. It's absorbed far better through the mucous membranes in your mouth. So the best, best, best way to consume CBD is to get it in tincture form, put it under your tongue, let it sit for about 30 seconds. And then you're absorbing it through your bloodstream rather than having it go through all your stomach lining and where you lose so much of the efficacy anyways. And so when you're buying these package products that are just touting having CBD, it's more about being cool than being therapeutically effective.
1: Right. And well, the dosage in any of that is is nowhere near where it needs to be to be effective at all. Right.
0: And, and then- they're using, I mean, I also, CBD, so hemp is a bioaccumulator, which means it soaks up everything in the soil around it. They actually, after Chernobyl or any sort of nuclear disasters, they'll plant hemp because it'll soak up all the radiation. So if you don't know exactly where your hemp is coming from, you can be doing more harm than good to your body because you're basically absorbing whatever the hemp has absorbed. And I think that's incredibly problematic. So whenever I take CBD, I take it from reputable suppliers that I really, really trust that I've seen their whole supply chain, that they're third party certified, and I take it in tincture form and put it under my tongue.
1: Hmm. I I think that that is such a wise, and I absolutely 100% agree with you. There are definitely other trends out there. Those are the ones that I think my audience is most most concerned about is just like, you know, there is the advent of things like CBD and we're seeing adaptogenic herbs added to everything. And there are instances where, you know, for me, ashwagandha just doesn't serve because of some of the things that I deal with. So rhodiola is my go-to. And so I'm always really mindful about educating people on, you know, when it comes to adaptogenic herbs or even filling nutrient gaps, we really got to know what nutrient deficiencies you have before we go in and fill those.
0: Right. And I'm huge on like people actually getting panels and getting tested if they can afford it. I just think the more information you have to work with. And I I would also say if people say I can't afford it, but they're spending a ton of money on supplements to be like, well, if I took all supplements out of my diet for six months, what could I afford in terms of getting the information about the supplements that would be most effective in my body, you know? Mm.
1: Or we're spending money on like the new Kate Spade bag or something like that. (laughs)
0: Sure.
1: <laughs> we, we have we just may be allocating our money somewhere else the other topic that comes up I know that we got a chance to speak on was I wanted to speak a little bit about your journey with anxiety you know as a As a influencer, as a woman who puts herself out there, even with a book and a speaking tour and traveling all the time, you know, and having so much on your plate at one point, you know, managing, probably managing a team of writers. Tell me a little bit about your journey with anxiety. And then I'd love to hear some of the, you know, based on the research that you've seen, things that you've used, what are some of your most kind of natural solutions to helping to manage that, especially when you're on the go so much?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So my journey with anxiety is a pretty long one. I was always sort of a neurotic kid. My dad always said I was like Woody Allen-ish. You know, if there was a swine flu outbreak, I was like pretty sure I was going to get it. And if anything was just like wrong, I was pretty sure it was going to be wrong with me. But it, it was in the background for a very long time. And then I moved to London in my mid-20s with my husband because he was doing a post graduate program there. And I quit my job that I had at the time so that I could write full time, which was seemed like a great idea. But it, it essentially meant that I was home alone for 12 hours a day. And my husband woke up at like seven to go to his program. It was a very demanding program. And he wouldn't come home until midnight. And I didn't have any support. I didn't have any community. And I didn't have a job, which is like a great place to make friends when you move to a new place. So mm-hmm. I was writing all day. I was up in my head. And my anxiety just sort of started to get worse and worse and worse. And at one point, I became completely agoraphobic. I had panic attacks whenever I left the house. If I like went to the grocery store and had to wait in line, I would have a panic attack. If I was walking down the street to go to the subway, I'd have a panic attack. And I just stopped leaving the house. Ultimately, I had about a month where I didn't really leave my bed. I was laying in bed for the whole day and on my computer and reading books. And I kind of convinced myself that that was a a worthy life to live. I was like, you know, I have everything I need right here. I don't really ever need to leave my bed again. And that was definitely my lowest point. And I also think it's the closest I've ever felt to being suicidal because I love life and I've never considered taking my life. But there was a point when my anxiety was so bad that I was like, if I'm going to be this uncomfortable, every day for the rest of my life, that's not a life that's worth living to me. Because its I think people forget about anxiety. It's not just thoughts and being stressed about something, but it's a profound physical discomfort at times. And it, it feels very bodily. And sometimes I'll even say to my husband, like, I'll be like, oh, I'm feeling anxious. And he'll be like, what about? And I'll be like, it's not about something. I'm feeling anxious in my stomach or in my chest and in my throat and my head. And it feels very physical. It's not just a specific thought that I can't get out of my head, although sometimes it's that too. I came to the wellness and food world by writing. I had my first newspaper column when I was 16. And then that was nationally syndicated when I was 18. And I wrote that for seven years. And so I was always a writer. But when I was spending all that time in bed was when I sort of came to the wellness world. And I was researching ways that I could help with my own anxiety and I found articles, and that's when I sort of learned how to read studies because I was just trying to fix my own situation. So I found a really good therapist in London who I loved to death, and it was the only time I would leave the house. I would kind of have a panic attack on the tube on the way to go to therapy, and then I'd go to therapy, and it would help so much, and then I'd have a panic attack on the way home, but it was worth those panic attacks to me to have the helpfulness that that therapist did. And eventually my husband and I moved back to the States and I got a full-time job again. And I honestly, you know, my anxiety got better and better and better. But the, having the full-time job was huge for me. I think that people underestimate two things. One, the power of community. Again, healthier together is my whole thing. It's my podcast. It's my book. I think that I experienced on a very profound level what the absence of community did to my mental and my physical health. And then that makes it much more profound. And it's also backed up by so many studies. Like if you look at the world's most long-lived people in the blue zones, they all have very strong and powerful communities from the day that they're born to the day that they die. They're multi-generational. They are spending consistent quality time with people and like real quality time, not like we're all on our phones and going to dinner or we're chatting on social media. So I've read those studies and I knew that, but experiencing what the absence of that did in my own personal life was such a powerful lesson. And so coming back and being in a community was so important to me. And then I also think I learned the power of structure, particularly with people with anxiety. I think there's a part of all of us that's like, oh, my life would be so great if I could just like sleep in until 11 every morning and then Do what I feel like at every moment. But our brains want the structure of like waking up at a certain time, going to bed at a certain time. I think this is one of the reasons morning routines have been so trendy, is because having that type of routine is something that we really crave, particularly people who struggle with mental health issues. So having the built in structure of going to the same place every day at the same time and doing the same type of work and being surrounded by the same type of people was hugely important in my own anxiety journey. And then also, I changed my diet at the time. So I was eating okay. You know, I was still eating like a lot of pizza. Non to that, that old little bit of an old life. Yeah, exactly. Like the stuff I was raised on, I would like buy Ben and Jerry's and eat all the cookie dough out of it. So I started with a green smoothie, which is one of the reasons I'm so huge on green smoothies because it's such a simple change that people can make. Mm -hmm. If, all you do is replace your breakfast with a green smoothie. You've already consumed more vegetables before noon than most people consume an entire week. And it's easier to make than most breakfasts. It takes like less time, less cleanup. And I just think that it can have such a profound impact on your health. So that was, and then I think the best way to keep having profound impacts on your health are finding those little wins that inspire you to keep going. So for me, my green smoothie was a huge win. And that's why I'm like just literally the world's, I have a whole part in the book. That's like um, an ode to the best weekday breakfast, I think it's called. And it's sort of a guide to making green smoothies so that they're satiating, so that you're not hungry before lunch, and so that they taste really good with like all those fun flavors and stuff like that. So that was the very first thing I did. I also started meditating, which had a really, really, really great impact. I started with the Headspace app, but then I eventually took a Vedic meditation training, which I always recommend doing a meditation training to people if they can afford it one, because I think spending money on something makes you want to do it more. I think if you're like, oh, I've already invested this type of money, it's so much more likely that you're going to sit down and meditate every day because you don't want to waste the money. But then I also think learning meditation from a real person can help you kind of get out the kinks and you can tell them all the hurdles that you have, all the kind of excuses we have to not bring meditation into our lives. And they can help you get over those hurdles. So I did that. And I now meditate for 20 minutes every single day without fail. If I'm feeling particularly anxious, I might do another 20-minute session. Or I'll do a four five eight breathing. So you breathe in for 4, you hold it for 5, and then you exhale for 8. And that has a huge effect on your anxiety. My dad's a therapist. And that's one of the number one first things he teaches all of his clients. Breathing is so interesting because it's this direct impact that you can have on your body systems instantly. So I'm huge on breathing exercises. So I incorporated community, incorporated meditation. I definitely am a huge fan of therapy. I'm a huge fan of changing your diet. I think that for anxiety, gut health is super, super, super important and nourishing your microbiome and Making sure that you everything you eat is really digestible and that you are digesting everything you eat. You could be eating all the great healthy food in the world, but if you're not digesting it properly, you're not really doing anything for yourself and keeping your hormones super stable. So there's something called misattribution that's huge for anxiety, which is just that if you feel the symptoms that you would feel during a panic attack, like if you feel sweaty palms or you feel like a little bit of an upset stomach, or you feel like a racing heart or like a little bit of Disassociation in your brain, your brain subconsciously will be like, oh, these are symptoms of anxiety. What am I anxious about? And it can always, always find something for you to be anxious about, like every single time. trying to find an answer. Right. And so it'll find that answer. It'll serve that answer up to you without you even realizing that this has happened. And then you'll have a thing to be anxious about, which will make your palms more sweaty, which will make your stomach more fluttery, which will make your brain more dissociated and lightheaded and any of that. And it's sort of this vicious cycle. So a huge part of managing my anxiety and that I've found super helpful for other people is to manage those misattributions. So anything you can do to avoid getting the upset stomach in the first place, to avoid having your palms be sweaty, your heart be racing. So that's things like one, keeping your gut health really in check with lots of ginger and a lot of Probiotic-rich foods, a lot of prebiotic-rich foods so that your little good bacteria have something good to eat, which I think is a big thing that people don't think about. They load in all the probiotics, but they don't give food for the probiotics to right. nourish themselves, Well, they need latch on. something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they need prebiotics. They need, they need healthy gut food. <laughs> exactly. So that's stuff like Jerusalem artichokes or asparagus or things like that. And then giving up caffeine is huge. That's a huge thing that causes your heart to race. I just wrote an article about this for Mind Body Green, but almost every single person who has anxiety could likely benefit from completely eliminating caffeine, at least according to everybody I've worked with. And also the countries I interviewed Dr. Ellen Vora for the story, who's the country's leading holistic psychiatrist. And she thinks that every single person who has anxiety should be not only having just a little bit of caffeine, but should have literally zero caffeine. The way she described it, which I thought was so fascinating, is that real energy comes from sleeping and taking care of your mitochondria and doing all the things that we know that actually give us energy. But what caffeine does is it gives you energy by essentially stealing energy from your system. And it has to steal it from somewhere. So it steals it by activating your cortisol and your adrenal glands. And so you're essentially secreting the things that put you into fight or flight mode, and that's giving you energy. And some people, depending on your DNA and your genetics, can handle that feeling a little bit more. But if you tend at all towards anxiety, putting yourself into fight or flight mode just so that you can have this fake sense of energy in the morning is a terrible, terrible idea. So I always encourage people with anxiety to give up caffeine if they can. So that was huge for me. In terms of supplement, I do do CBD sometimes for CBD, it works better. The more often you do it, you need to build it up in your system and sort of tone your endocannabinoid system to have it work. So if you just have an acute anxiety set, like spell and you take CBD once, it's not going to work that well for you. But I also don't like for any supplements to take it every single day. I don't like to be reliant on something. So I'll take CBD probably five times a week. And then magnesium has also been really helpful for me. I, I treat magnesium sort of like Xanax i call it overdosing on magnesium but i'll take i do pure encapsulations and i'll take twice the recommended dose when i'm feeling acute anxiety and it actually within like 20 or 30 minutes you get that like bodily calm the same way that you would if you were taking a pharmaceutical so that's one of my little anxiety hacks that i absolutely love
1: it's a great sleep hack too
0: oh my god i love it for sleep for
1: sure Mm-hmm. I agree. I love all of these. And what, what was I thinking about when you were you were talking about I love the breathing exercise. I think the the meditation is huge. And you're absolutely right. I wrote an article from my body green on caffeine and, and, and adrenals. And basically, if, if someone knows that they find themselves in that state you know, drinking caffeine isn't going to help you get out of that. And that right. state is just going to perpetuate. You know, if you find yourself, you're super calm and you get by and, and you're, you're always just in that state of super chill, then yeah, you drink caffeine, sure. But like, if you already know that, that you have a propensity, then you should probably stay away from it.
0: And I also think it's really interesting to figure out what rested looks like for you. Yeah, like, I love that I know how I'm going to feel every morning, regardless of what I have access to you know what I mean like if I go camping my husband doesn't have yeah exactly if I'm in Montana which I am right now my husband is a huge caffeine drinker he drinks like four to five cups of coffee a day which again harkens back to the like do as you want to do don't try to control your partner too much but if he doesn't have his caffeine in the morning he feels like absolute garbage like he is not a fun person to be around whereas I wake up I don't need anything I mean I prefer to have my green smoothie But I don't need anything and I'll be fine and have a good day. And I know that I'm rested at that really deep core level of being rested rather than needing this extraneous thing to wake up.
1: I love that. And you're absolutely right. I mean, I I do love a green smoothie. I love the way it feels in the morning. You know, you touched upon mitochondrial function, and that's really how we want to be feeling. So something to be mindful of if somebody, if you are dealing with anxiety or panic attack, or even just that feeling of anxiousness, be looking at how much caffeine you're consuming. One of the things that I use with my patients or my readers is I do, uh, you know, with, with meditation or with breathing techniques, I do love calming oils. Sometimes essential oils can help too like a lavender or a Roman chamomile, I just think of it as a, as a stress disruptor, an HPA axis disruptor that can kind of just dial things down a tiny bit. But I usually have them do it with a breathing exercise. So they're pairing it together.
0: I love that. I also think that we're very Pavlovian and that we respond to triggers. And I think yeah. that essential oils are great because you can treat them as triggers. If you Trigger. always apply essential oils when you meditate, you're going to associate essential oils with meditation. And then if you're maybe in a meeting or on a plane or somewhere you can't meditate, but you smell that essential oil, it'll bring you back to that feeling that you've associated with with meditation.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have really bad flight anxiety and I can't kick it to save my life. And it's not all the time. I mean, I'm on a plane right now, almost
0: weekly, if not yeah. more. And, and, so, and I'm also really anxious when I fly.
1: <laughs> yeah, girl, it just blows. So I have a I have a blend that I use. So I have a, a journal, I've got a playlist, and I've got an essential oil blend that I do all on takeoff. And it's a, it's a ritual kind of like you were talking about having that thing that you do no matter what you just get on the plane. I do the things I get my oil out, I get my journal out and I get my, my music
0: going and I, I don't talk to anybody. I just do the thing that I do. I've also found for my flight anxiety, one Bose noise canceling headphones are key to life. Like not hearing that underlying rumble and also like the dings and the pings that you're like, does that mean we're crashing of a plane? Is so key to life. And then, two, I found if I actually work on planes, I used to just like watch movies or use it as me time. But when I work, I'm focused so intensely on something that the time goes by versus like half being half interested in a movie and having it not consume my attention wholly enough where I'm still sort of thinking about the flight a little bit. So those two things have been immensely helpful for me. I, one.
1: you know, what, I do need to get other better headphones. Cause I, so I have, you know, I fly on certain airlines and I know certain planes. This is so funny that we're I'm talking about this, but I know what the engines sound like. Yeah. So,
0: and then you're like acutely, like when it, You know that moment when you're like two minutes in the air and they cut back on the engine a little bit because you'd need like a lot more engine power to get up and then they always like reduce it a little bit about two minutes up and every time I used to be like, this is it. We're going down, you know. (laughs) But like having a really good pair of noise-canceling headphones, it sounds so silly and little, but it's done more for my anxiety on planes than any other thing that I've ever done.
1: Yes, but I need to, I need to definitely, because I'm not willing, I've never taken a Xanax. I've never taken, in ways when people are like, oh, just take a Xanax on a flight. And I just don't want, usually I've got a lot to do on the plane or I'm, Feeling productive, and I just feel like oils have been have helped me significantly. So it's usually all I need, plus my little ritual. But yeah, having to be able to cancel out some of that noise is important. You know, I know that there's some. Yeah, my mom used to live in Orange County, so we I used to fly out of the John Wayne Airport. There's a noise ordinance in that airport, so they have to shoot the plane into the air and they cut engines at ten at at like. In, but they tell you this. And so I remember growing up, i get propelled into the air and then cut engines. But if you if you don't know that's going to happen one reason or the other, you know, it totally freaks you out. And I'm, I'm totally digressing onto anxiety. It's
0: actually really interesting, like how many people I talk about on my Instagram sometimes. And it's interesting how many people have flight anxiety. And I also think it's important for people like you and me who people see always traveling all over the world to be like, Oh, yeah, no, we have it too. But we're choosing to live big, exciting lives. Like that's the thing I always, at my core, whenever I get on a flight, I'm like, if I die, that's, I know with every rational thought that I'm not going to, but if I did, I would rather be choosing the life that I'm choosing than hold myself away in my house because I'm too afraid to go do something that's going to make my life exciting and worth living, you know? So I think it's important for people like us who people see making those choices to know that it's not easy, but we're making them anyways in the name of living a satisfying life.
1: I was in your Instagram a couple days ago and I was so amazed. You've done so much incredible travel, you know, you yes. know, live in that best life. And I just love it. Before we finish up, is there any, any last thing that you want to share about community and being, and being healthier together?
0: Yeah. I mean, I would encourage people to connect on a real vulnerable, open way with people as much as they possibly can. I think we, people, I get so many people who are like, I want friends, but I don't know how to make friends as an adult. And I think that often we have people in our lives, but we're not letting them be the kind of friends that they could be because we're not being our most vulnerable, open, and real selves with them. So I would encourage people to say the things to the people in their lives that they didn't think they could say, to say the things. I use my social media. I'm always cautioning people. I think that we talk a lot about the mental health implications of social media these days. And I say that I think it has negative implications if you use it as media. But if you lean into the social side, it can have a lot more positive implications. So what I mean by that is media is when you're just kind of like scrolling, 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 and you're just consuming. But when you're using it socially, you're talking to people, and you're not just like, hey, babe, great cake. But you're like, Telling them how you feel and you're saying real things to them And I think the more that I use my social media for that on my account and then talking to other people I love really talking to my followers and connecting with them and Mm -hmm. seeing what's going on in their lives and and using it in that social way It makes me feel mentally much better than if i'm just creating content to be consumed So I would encourage people to use social media as real social time And I would also encourage people to be super vulnerable with the people that they have in their lives and to say the things that they really want to say and to try to connect with them in a way that they maybe didn't think that they could. And then beyond that, I think one of my core messages that I always like to say if I get the opportunity to is that wellness is a tool, it's not an end unto itself. So the second that you're not feeling good and the choices that you're making to try to be healthy, that's no longer healthy. And I think that a lot of the people who had listened to a podcast like this or who had read My Muddy Green or who are sort of exploring the wellness world can get so caught up in the like, should I eat this food or that food or do I need this supplement or that supplement that it's making their life worse and not better. And so I think that when we reflect on all of our choices about whether they're making our lives better inherently and more satisfying and more connected to other people and more enjoyable to live, that's what true wellness is. And so I would encourage everybody as much as possible to reflect on those choices in that light.
1: I love that. Thank you for that. Absolutely. Agree. Where can we find you, Liz, honey, on Instagram? By the way, it, I do love the vulnerability and the connectivity that you have. I'm embarrassed that I haven't commented. I was just consuming to get ready for the interview.
0: <laughs> okay, you can get going forward. And then I'll talk back and then we'll have this like real connection where I'll be like, oh, this is what you're up to. And here's what I'm up to. And it feels like it just feels like so much of a better way to use the platform.
1: I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. And I knew that I was gonna to get to talk to you today. Yes. In the real. So I was like, well, maybe that's my, you know, I was able to do that kind of research. So we can find you on Insta at Liz yeah. Moody.
0: Right? I'm really, yes, I'm super easy. You just need to remember four words for me all together. So you need to remember Liz Moody, and that's my Instagram at Liz Moody is my name. And it's also my website where you can find all of my recipes and all of that. So that's lizmoody.com. You can find the link to my cookbook there. And then Healthier Together. So Healthier Together is my podcast where I interview some of the world's most extraordinary people about the things they've overcome to live their extraordinary lives. And it's like super casual and conversational and you feel like you're just kind of hanging out having a chat with girlfriends. And then it's also my book, which is the number one best-selling cookbook just came out two weeks ago and it's called healthier together and it's recipes for two people. Everything's dairy free. Everything's gluten free. Everything's designed to balance your hormones and fight inflammation and heal your gut and also tastes really, really good. So you can convince all those unhealthy people in your life that they should be eating good food too.
1: I love it. So I will have all the things, as you guys know, in the show notes and on the site. So you guys can go and grab it, but definitely go check out Liz Moody's Instagram. It's gorgeous and grab the new book. I can't wait to get my hands on it. I can't wait. My mom and my sister are going to be so excited.
0: (laughs) Perfect. You guys can all get healthier together.
1: That's right. Absolutely. Thanks so much, honey. Thank you. Personally, the insight on diet and food trends and the incredible advice on how to manage anxiety was simply amazing. I love interviewing women that are so down to earth and 100% passionate about what they do. And I know that Liz's book, Healthier Together, was a beautiful labor of love based on her discovery of cooking amazing, yummy recipes and then getting to enjoy that passion with the people that she loves most. Now, what I love when it comes to creating healthy dishes is to be able to connect with my family. You know, My husband and I cook together a lot, so does my mom and my sister, and I love that we get to create healthy habits together because ultimately, cooking with family when it's healthy and delicious is probably one of my favorite joys. How about you? Is creating new healthy recipes with the people that you love something that you enjoy? Reach out to me on Instagram, DM me, and let me know. Now, if you're interested in checking out Liz's new cookbook, Healthier Together, head on over to my show notes and grab your copies. Now, these recipes are almost too good to be true, and they are gluten and dairy-free and filled with a lot of whole food ingredients, telling you, this cookbook is where it's at. Well, thank you so much for stopping by and listening to the Essentially You podcast. On the next episode, I am bringing on a dear, dear friend, Dr. Ann Shippey, and we are talking about the dangers of toxic mold and how to know how to detect it and how to heal your body once you have been exposed. Mold is one of those hidden infections that we need to be more aware of today, so you're not going to want to miss this insightful and amazing interview with my key mold expert, Dr. Ann Shippey. You can check us out on the next episode and until then, have an amazing day.